0: Hi everyone, it's Amber Love and welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. And I want to thank everyone who sponsors the show and my work at Patreon.com AmberUnmasked because it allows me to do exciting things like attend Steampunk World's Fair, And that is what this episode is about. It's actually recording from one of the panels about gothic novels, and it features author Leanna Renee Heber, and she enthusiastically discusses the uh, gothic novel evolution from the 18th century basically to the present time. She even gives some examples of what would fall into that category besides her own work. She is the author of The Strangely Beautiful Saga and Magic Most Foul Saga. So, um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope the quality of the recording is suitable because, you know, live recordings are always a bit tricky. So, um, also, if you uh, stay tuned, obviously, to the end of the show, I'm going to feature some of the music that was actually heard at steampunk world's fair by uh eli august it's normally eli august in the abandoned buildings which is usually this whole ensemble of musicians but the particular concert that i caught was a trio of them so uh, i happened to like it i really liked the the cello in the music and um they're just very passionate musicians so i think that was great so i'm going to add some of that at the end and once again, thank you, of course, for listening and tell everybody about Patreon.com amberunmasked And don't forget that my latest novel, Miscarriage of Justice, is out. So you can also look for that, um, you know, your favorite book retailers. Online is probably easiest. And um, if you have any questions, you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber.
1: I have 45 minutes and I have a lot of stuff I want to cover with you. I know that I am all in black but I'm one of those perky goths, so so I'm gonna throw a lot of stuff out at you really fast, and it's stuff that I'm, I'm very, 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 very passionate about, so thank you. There are some of you who I, whose faces are familiar to me. You may have been in my other gothic novel panels. Um, I have tried to do this every year because it's pretty popular, and also because things change with this particular genre. Um, we have new additions into what is in the zeitgeist, so what's in pop culture in in regard to the Gothic. So let me introduce myself and we're gonna get started right away. Um, I will try to leave a couple of minutes for questions, but I also have a table right outside. So if we need to take our discussion to the table, um, we can do that um, after we're done. So um, you are in the O Gothic novel panel. Um, So if you do not wanna talk about running around in your Down in the rain, get out. Um, and my name is Liana Renee Heber. I am the author of many Gothic novels and uh, I just turned in my 12th novel, I think. I've I, I, I lost track of it, thank you, thank you. And um, I write for tour books. And uh, so I have several different uh, flavors of Gothic novel in what I do. I have Gothic that are more romance with a capital R And then more gothic romance with a lowercase r. So here's how you need to understand this. Okay, Wuthering Heights, gothic novel with a lowercase r, because Heathcliff's a jackass, (laughs) and then you have, and sorry, I'm also probably going to curse, um, within reason, because I get really passionate. You guys, the Gothic novel's everything I've ever loved since I was seven years old and I found Poe and I never looked back. So this is just, this is a, the whole life, I've had many, many more years to ruminate on why I love all this. So, um, and then you have Jane Eyre, which is romance with a capital R. So, because that's, I mean, if we're gonna take messed up Victorian relationships, that one's a little more healthy. Okay, so we'll give that one the capital R, okay? I mean, you don't get, I. I love Mr. Rochester. Do not even get me started about how I love you, Mr. Rochester. Anyway, so he he very much informed the hero of this series. But so um, I one of the things I, I, I when I fell in love with Poe at the age of seven, I felt like I understood my own mind and soul. Um, yeah, I was a goth that young. I wasn't allowed to dress all in black at that point. My parents were really worried about it. But basically, my parents have been really worried about this goth thing until I actually made a career out of it, and then they're like, "Oh, so you get like you've made a living out of talking about running around in your black nightgown in the rain." Okay. So I'm like, so, so, so I. When I, I, anytime I go into high schools and I see a bunch of little gothlings, I'm like, it's okay. Just like make, just make it a thing. And after <laughs> a while, they'll be like, that's a no. They, that's your thing. This is what you do. So um, when I when I fell in love with Poe, um, I thought, oh my goodness, only Poe could write about this perilous line. That's what I love about the gothic as a genre. It's this perilous line between beauty and tragedy, between horror and salvation. It's this hair's breadth between ecstasy and absolute terror. It's always a razor thin edge and you never know which way it's gonna turn. And a lot of times the Gothic is there to like, you know, rip the rug out from underneath you. And, and I love that. And and I, I would remember being so shocked reading Poe, the facts in the case of Elm Valdemar, which ends with a body putrefying at the end of the tale, and only Poe could make that really beautiful, you know? And so I think that's what I love about the Gothic as a genre, is that it makes the terrible beautiful, one way or another. And it, it kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of a train wreck. You really can't look away. That's the whole thing with the Gothic. So now, to go, this is why, this is why I love the Gothic, so that's my sort of my thesis, the idea of, I love the idea of the beautiful and the terrible, sharing that liminal space. brief history of the Gothic novel. 1764, Horace Walpole writes a crazy novella called The Castle of Otranto. We're getting towards the end of the Age of Enlightenment, getting towards the end of the Age of Reason, and we're gonna be 1764. You have a lot of stuff that's going on. A lot of stuff's going on politically around the world at that time. Um, And you have just the early, early, earliest stages of some of the things that are gonna be a big deal in the next century. So you have early industrialization, you have early medicine taking some interesting, vague, gory turns. You have, um, you have different political systems and you have um, a lot of worry and change about what's going to happen next. So, Castle of Toronto is a wild story. It, the thing about the Gothic is it is a wild genre. You really never know exactly what is going to happen because anything could happen. So in the castle of Otranto, you have a cursed family. So a lot of, lot of curses, a lot of orphans, a lot of very extreme situations. And at the end, the, the bad guy's taken out with a helmet that falls from the sky. I mean, this is Wagnerian stuff right here. <laughs> so it's amazing. And also kind of terrible. So the, the great thing about the Gothic is that you kind of, you sort of love to hate it. And that's what I've been grappling with the, the whole time. That, that fine line is also this fine line between taking it seriously or taking it kind of with, uh, with fun. And I have to toe this line because there's a lot of it that's really right on the edge of melodrama. And that's tough as readers, we don't, melodrama was very common in terms of theatrical presentations and in terms of just everyday popular fiction in the 17 and the 1800s. Melodrama was just like, that was the way of it. But so we've lost a little bit of that in, in, in the, in the mid 1900s. We went into a real realist phase and we've and we we lost a little bit of that ability to take melodrama because it's now it just seems like oh it's just too much. So the thing that unsettles people about the Gothic as a genre is because you have you have an extreme setting and the, the keys. There's three things I think are key. Now don't take I mean I have not written a doctoral thesis on this. I probably should have by this point. Um, but I have done a lot of of. Um, uh, I've done a lot of talking about this topic um, for years and years, and, um, and I did study it in school, so I have some big academic background to, to, <laughs> to, do, to, to bring to you. But um, I think that the Gothic really needs the three things. One of the key components of the Gothic is dread. Dread is key in the Gothic. So you have a psychological narrative where dread is propelling the narrative. So this, this the steam of a Gothic is dread. It's gonna focus on the psychology of the characters. And it's going to focus on an extreme setting where something wild and unpredictable happens. Now, in the setting, there's sort of a sub, it's kind of 3.5 of these three things. Dread psychology setting. Um, Is there or is there not a paranormal going on? That is a question. In something like Henry James' turn of the screw, one of my favorite ghost stories of all time, Great little novella. Also, some of the great things about the gothics, is some of them are pretty short. Um, others like The Monk are interminable and wonderful and wild and ridiculous. That one's ridiculous. If you're gonna pick one that's ridiculous, The Monk, pick that one. Because uh, Jane Austen made fun of it in Northanger Abbey. You know that you're writing a beleaguered genre when Jane Austen trolls you. <laughs> it's amazing, it's amazing. I, I'm not, I, I, I love Northern Area Bay because it's like, so, but I also am really angry, because I'm like, I, hey, I write that stuff. Jane, be nicer to this ridiculous situation, because <laughs> I write it all the time. Okay, yes, so <laughs> to go back to the paranormal goings on, um, and to go back, to, in, in turn of the screw, we don't know if there's a ghost or not, we never know. Same thing with one of my favorite modern examples. So there's a, I, I, I dovetail um, um, two things of the, 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 the 19th century Gothic and the 20th century Gothic, they're a great pairing. Like read them one after the other, it's great. Um, Turn of the Screw, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. That's like the best double feature ever because they're very, Sir, Shirley Jackson's very, very informed by ghost stories where you never really know that was, a, that was a 19th century obsession. Everybody who was writing in the 19th century, how you would make an extra buck here or there as you tell a ghost story. Elizabeth Gaskell, who we know for her social commentary and her social critiques through the 19th century, North and South, awesome. Also BBC adaptation, Richard Armitage, hello. Anyway, the <laughs> great, the, the great, great, great stuff. But Gaskell, when she wasn't doing big social commentary, she was writing ghost stories. She was publishing them in Dickens Household Words, his magazine. So everybody, if you needed a little bit of something, you would write a ghost story. So they were everywhere. So Shirley Jackson is, you know, coming in the, in the mid 1900s, is coming from a, a really great wealth of wonderful ghost stories. And she then perfected that really, I think, in a lot of ways for the 20th century, adapting that for our modern sensibilities. So you see sort of, we, we, we kind of dip down in the Gothic from the late 19th century um, back, all the way back. Sort of, you, you see that it crops up Kind of bounces like this. So I, I jump, I tend to jump right to the 19th century Gothics because that's my area of interest. That's my sort of area of expertise. All of my books are set in the late 1880s. So while I love things like The Castle of Otranto, my, my experience in the 1700s is more like, hey, this is the book that kicked it off. And then there was The Monk, and then there was Frankenstein, and everything changed. <laughs> So that's it's very important to understand that as I I sometimes have neglected in my excitement about the late Victorian era, I have sometimes um to my sugar, like literally this has kept me up at night if I've ever forgotten to say Frankenstein because it's so important. But it's one of those things where because the only reason why I've ever forgotten that is because it's a novel so ahead of its time from the early it's the early um 19th century. It is it is in the the eighteen teens and and written by a teenage girl on a wild prompt. So again, the Gothic is touching down. And the things that makes the Gothic the Gothic, again, you've got dread, you've got a psychological issue or, or sort of a um, sort of a through line, and then you have setting, and then you have the unresolved paranormal angle. Is it or isn't it? So this falls into two categories, the explained or the unexplained. So that's how the paranormal in, in, your, in your trifecta of what's in a Gothic. You've got that explained or unexplained when it comes to that paranormal angle. And you could look at that as being applicable to any of the number of the three things, which is why I don't give it its own category, because the paranormal or not explained versus not explained, that applies both to the dread and the psychology and to the setting. So it applies to all of those three. So in something, I, I like to, to look at Dracula, um, as as a great example i will I will tend to to talk a lot about Dracula mainly because it's the Victorian id on paper and also because it is a capstone of a hundred years of vampire fiction. It's also something everybody knows and it's also the most single adapted story ever told. So it's a great example of this but <clears throat> so we're touching down in these various eras, right we've got Horace Walpole the widely thought to created the Gothic novel with the castle of Toronto. We're jumping, we've got, we've got the monk after that. Jane Austen trolls it in the early 19th century. We've got Frankenstein in there. Okay, this is what's getting us into the mix. So mid 19th century, we've got Edgar Allan Poe. So we, Poe is a very, very important character in that mid range. And then as we move a little bit forward, we have other people who are, you know, as we move into the 1880s, 1890s, We have other very, very important characters to talk about. Wilkie Collins being a really good example. Woman in white is a great example of the unreliable narrator. That's a very important trope in the Gothic, the unreliable narrator. You don't know if they're telling the truth, they don't know if they're telling the truth, nobody knows, and so it's up to you to decide. There's a bit of that unreliable narrator that you find all the way back in Horace Walpole. So that's another thing that's very important that's another sort of subgenre. In addition to the explained versus the unexplained, you have where does the narrator fit into this? Into the and Poe is another great example. I think Wilkie Collins and Edgar Allan Poe are, some, are two of the best examples of the unreliable narrator, where you want, you really you know you get to feel for the for the narrator in The Tell-Tale Heart. Even though you know he's done a terrible thing, you still kind of feel for him, even though you're, you're not really sure. Is it madness? Is it real? Any of that stuff. So that's, you've got a psychological narrative there. So all of these things are informing something like Dracula. Um, So Stoker was um, a sickly child and um, he had a really contentious relationship with his family. Uh, He moved to London. He became the um, manager of the Lyceum Theater in London, which is still there. You can go and see his name on on, on the side of the building. It's very exciting. And uh, he was, he presided over as the managing director of the Lyceum um, at a time when acting was not uh, thought of as a profession for anything other than, you know, wastrels and, uh, you know, loose women and whatnot. Um, And uh, Henry Irving, who was the chief actor there at the Lyceum, really wanted to elevate the profession of acting to a professional status, sort of a guild status. And he was, in fact, the first actor to ever be knighted, Henry Irving was. So Irving was a very bombastic figure. He was a very draining, vampiric kind of character. He very much informs Count Dracula. Um, so it's, I, I found it really fascinating when I was l- learning about Stoker's backstory, just how much of his own life, he kind of threads into, dramatically threads into, um, the narrative. And I, now, I don't think the Gothic always has to have sort of a personal context, um, but I definitely know that when you're dealing with a story that has a lot of psychological aspects to it. It's inevitable that where the author is societally and mentally and emotionally is very much going to inform how they write their Gothic because it's so personal. You're ripping your guts out because it's wild. And sometimes people don't necessarily take it seriously. That's why it's this, it's a sort of love hate relationship because when you have something that is, you, you can kind of distance and like, oh, that is just, that's so wild, that's so preposterous, that's so out of the norm, that's so, it's such full of reckless abandon, you're going to run away from your haunted house in your nightgown in the rain. Because there's no other option, there's nothing else to do. You're either heart sick and love struck, or you're terrified, or both. And this kind of extremes is very uncomfortable for people. We do not like to let ourselves live on extremes. We'd like to read about it, maybe sometimes, but you have to be willing to have the suspension of disbelief. It's a highly theatrical genre. If you go into it knowing that, you're gonna enjoy every second of it because it's a wild ride. But you have to let yourself, and if you don't let yourself, you're not gonna enjoy it. And so that's been (laughs) the key complaint with all of my industry reviews. The industry reviews of my book, and here's the thing, this has always been a beleaguered genre all of us are in, interested in genre fiction. Every single brand and subgenre of genre fiction has always been looked at as sort of a redheaded stepchild of X, Y, and Z. The Gothic is the most beleaguered of all of the stepchildren, okay? It is one of those things where it's never gotten, never ever gotten the, the critical or the, or the sort of literary acclaim that I think it should even though we're now reading a lot of the Victorian classics that are gothics, that were the popular fiction of the day, now we're considering them classics because enough time has passed. But it's still something that people don't know how to take or review. I, lo- I have a lot of my reviews that are like, mm, it's good for a gothic novel if you like the gothic novel thing." You know, it's one of those things where like they feel like they have to qualify it. Like, but it's but all of the feelings. There's so many feelings, um, and there's the, there's you know there's some wah ha. It's tropey. Another thing that's important with you gotta understand with with the Gothic is that you're relying with these wild big things that are possible, psychologically, physically, setting-wise. A lot of things are possible. There's there's a lot of that, that raw material. So a lot of times people don't necessarily know how or have trouble sort of giving over to all of that. And the tropes are a way that those kind of themes can come through the thematic themes, there's you know, the dastardly villain, um, the, the innocent hero, innocent heroine, however anyone identifies, um, all of that. So all of those things are also in play in a setting that is very intense. So when setting becomes so important, it becomes a character in and of itself. That's a very important thing in the Gothic, is that setting is character. The moors of the Brontes, are deeply important, that setting in Wuthering Heights. I mean, the title, Wuthering Heights, gives you everything you really need to know. It really does. Um, and, and I think that, you know, so, so it's interesting to me because Jane Eyre, so you've got two different Brontes, two very wildly different um, takes. Similar, beautifully, both beautifully written. Wuthering Heights to me is absolutely terrifying. because You are dealing with, with a destructive relationship. Jane Eyre, you're working towards something that is ultimately, still complicated and flawed, but ultimately a bit sweeter. So Wuthering Heights is the setting. Jane Eyre is titled for the character. So I think that's very important when you're looking at the, the types of ways the Gothic can go. Sometimes it's gonna be very personal and relative and relatable. Sometimes it's really gonna be about in this setting, this horrible stuff happened and it was visited upon the entire family. And it goes more onto that sort of cursed lineage that's almost more setting. Jane Eyre makes it much more personal. And there's a lot more sort of love, actual love that's involved in that, rather than like jealousy and all the other twisted stuff and Wuthering Heights. So I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't, I love Wuthering Heights. But if, if a teenager says, oh, it's so dreamy, I wanna, I wanna be like, guys, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Just because Edward liked it in Twilight, that should tell you something. Okay? (laughs) He's being creepy. And I mean, I love creepy, but like, but no, but no, you're creepy, okay? Like, that's the thing, it's like, own it, okay? Dracula's like, what? I'm a vampire. You know? And that's, he owns it, okay? I got this. He knows exactly what's what. He doesn't pretend to be anything other than who he is. He's not, you know, so anyway, let's get back, you know, own your vampirism. Get back. Let's get back to Dracula, shall we? Okay, so... Getting back to, getting back to Dracula. Um, the, the way that Dracula really incorporates, okay, like I said, it's like a capstone work of a hundred years of vampire fiction, not just in fiction, but vampire stage plays were everywhere in the 17 and the 1800s, it was everywhere. You would th- throw a stone and hit lots of undead actors, you know, <laughs> and so like it just was, it was everywhere. So the, the pulp, the, the, the penny dreadful, oh God, don't get me started um on Penny Dreadful, the show. Um if we have time, I'll go on a hyper rant about that in a second. So all right, so I've just gotta time myself for that. Um, <laughs> okay, alright, I'll be alright. Um sorry, it's like I, I say the word penny dreadful and I have these like rage feels um about the ending of the show. I loved it until then there was the ending. Um, but um so so you have like when you get to the 1890s, we have some really classic gothics. You've got when we get to the late 1800s, you get Jekyll and Hyde, you get Dracula, you get the picture of Dorian Gray, also very important. 1897, also same time. So really, really, really great time for a gothic fiction. And because it is right, I didn't do it. <laughs> they're rapping at my chamber door. <laughs> Nevermore. <laughs> um. I I'm, 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 I'm always excited to do that. Anytime I get a chance to do that. Anytime I hear a rapping, it's, but what I do. So thank, thank you for no, for for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did they,
1: I think they just now got the joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Delayed response time, That's fantastic. All right, so, 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 um, getting back, so getting back to, to the, you've got these, you've got these wild emotions. You got all these feelings. You got all this stuff. You got the psychology, these things that people don't know how to deal with. One of the things that the Victorians really didn't know how to deal with was bodies, especially women's bodies. So the Victorians were like, "Mm, nope, mm, lady lady stuff, nope. So that is why Lucy dies. If Lucy could just say, hey, there's a guy in my room. Hey, there's a guy in my room. Guy in my room. She wouldn't be dead. Also, if Victorians could talk to each other, that would have been great. If they would talk to each other, she also wouldn't have her head cut off because she subverted the feminine ideal and became a baby eater. So, which is like, you know, and so the female monstrous is a sub-theme throughout most Gothic literature, the monstrous female. Um, so once, once that is turned on its head, um, all, you know, sort of all bets are off. And that's, that's a, a huge fear that we see. Literally, Dracula walks you through it, because Mina's like, there's this new woman. That's what they called early proto-feminists. Was the new woman? And Mina's like, I don't know about all this new woman stuff. Even though she's like a super confident, strong, like with it, self assured. She, she kind of is a new woman. So and that's so that's an interesting thing. And I actually don't really know. Stoker himself like had a really complicated relationship with women. And I'm not, I don't want to put that on like there's there's so much I do not want to put everything on the authors. Psychology. I don't want all of you looking for all of my weird emotional baggage and all of this. There's a lot of me and my stuff that I'm excited about that factors into this. But there, there is a separation, like art and human being. But he did have, but there are parallels. There are things that he even admitted were inspired. He wanted Henry Irving, Bram Stoker wanted Henry Irving to read Dracula at the Lyceum to do a theatrical adaptation, and he wouldn't do it. So it was like really sad for Stoker. I felt kind of really bad for him. Um, He had a strained relationship with a lot of the women in his life, but he also was surrounded by a lot of strong women. Ellen Terry, the first woman to be knighted, uh, to be given the dameship um, um, for, also for acting, was was the leading lady opposite um, Irving. And she was a very strong force of nature. She wrote really wonderful letters to um, George Bernard Shaw that are just delightful and delicious about the state of theater and the state of the world, and it's wonderful stuff. Um, and she was a, you know, so, so Stoker had lots of very, very strong women. I mean, he, he rolled with um, Constance Wilde. I mean, they, the Wilde family, Oscar Wilde and all, they were all very close. They all had dinner. I would, I, I would kill to be at the dinner parties there. Um, so that there was, there was all a social circle. So, so the idea of the new woman, and the idea of subverting the feminine ideal in Lucy for this monstrous female, All of that's right there on the page. The issues with feminine sexuality, the issues with owning your sexuality as a woman, it was a damning thing. And every traditional Gothic, if you acknowledged as a lady, acknowledged any kind of sexuality, you're gonna die. So, and that's a lot of stuff that that carries on into modern horror a lot. Um, A lot of stuff's getting a little more savvy about it. So if you want a perfect example of how to look at all these things that are vaguely problematic, and you wanna look at it, and you wanna see a perfect genre example, except it doesn't do all of the terrible things to women that the genre does, the best example of the Gothic that is not regressive is Crimson Peak. So Crimson Peak is the best example, so in, and I see lots of gays. Lots of um, I, I, I love Crimson Peak, it's a Guillermo de Toro, who is one of my favorite directors, Guillermo de Toro's um, got, like, love, love song of the Gothic. And it is messed up, but it is fantastic. And the reason why it's so wonderful is because the main character, Edith Cushing, she totally acknowledges her sexuality. And, I mean, it's Tom Hiddleston in a frock coat. Hello. <laughs> so, I mean, real, really. So you have this very, very typical gothic hero in that you're not really sure, like, are you a good guy or are you a bad guy are you both? You're probably both. You're both. <laughs> yep. And, um, and then you have this monstrous female, Lucille, who is in this literal love triangle, so yeah. So V.C. Andrews, flowers in the attic, you know, all that's going on, okay? So um, it's, it's intense and it's amazing, but what's great about it is he lets the women have agency. So Edith gets herself out of the situation. She realizes she's in a bad situation and this lady is off rock. So, okay, and so she's in this, this place where setting, Allerdale Hall, the setting of Crimson Peak, is a character in and of itself, the walls bleed red, it's great. Um, And uh, just like Castle Dracula is a character in Dracula. So getting back to that setting, so it's all these hallmarks and you're, you're with Edith as she starts to put things together about what's happening to her. And in this case, it is a explained paranormal. There are ghosts that are there and they're helping. So it's a fun way to subvert the idea that ghosts are there to hurt you. In this case, the ghosts help, which is great because that's what I do in all my books. I was like, yay, fantastic. In fact, it was very interesting when, when I first saw the, the stills for Crimson Peak come out. It was literally everyone, I had to shut down my Facebook wall because everyone was like, oh my God, Liana, your, your whole head and mind and heart, is all in this film. And I'm like, yeah, I know, creeping me out because it looks exactly like all of my characters. And in fact, like other people think I've sort of like copped some things from that. I'm like, look at the date on this book. This was years before this came out, thanks. So so I with all of that, setting is great. The agency of the female characters is fantastic. And a lot of times, you know, I don't want to be, like, you know, kind of casting, throwing shade on the historical Gothic, because a lot of times the, the authors were trying to actually illuminate the plight of women not having agency, and not having a chance, and not having ability. And this is not just women. This is any, anybody who's not a rich white man in the Victorian era. So you have marginalized characters of any kind are gonna be facing these same kinds of issues, because gender roles were so specific um, that you know, it was just as limiting for men as it was for women at the time in their own way. Yes, men had a lot more uh, agency outside of, like just in laws and in, and in the world, but there were also the gender roles were very strict for men as well. So you have a lot of people that are caught up in that class structure was really, really, really tough. And I think one of the problems that we have now is we're not still acknowledging the class dynamic that's happening. So one of the other things that's really important is that because of the psychological narrative is so important in the Gothic, at any point that it's, that it has been written, you really gotta look at what's happening in the society. Because if, if the primary focus of the steam and the motivation of a Gothic is dread, then societal fears are gonna play into exactly what the Gothic has going on. I just wrote about this for uh, a blog called Fantasy Cafe. So if you wanna see some of these thoughts written down specifically, rather than just spouted at you passionately with lots of je- gestures, um, check out Fantasy Cafe and just Google my name and the latest post for them should come up. It's called Gothic as the canary in fear's coal mine. Because I think that honestly, the Gothic is really taking a read on what scares people. And because the Gothic is focusing on psychology and not on jump scares and slasher, gore, the Gothic is focusing on the psychology, you get a lot more about what's actually plaguing society within a Gothic than you do say in a straight up horror film because they're they're working on just the actual terror and the blood and guts stuff, at least a lot of modern horror. Um, a lot of classic horror is really more along the, the gothic lines um, where, there's, where they sort of leave some of that stuff to your imagination. That's where they involve your psychology. The authors are involving you. They're letting you put yourself into the journey. Um, so with all of that, I think it's really important that we look and see we're we're dealing with a lot of the same things that, um, that Bram Stoker was dealing with. So you have, 1897, Industrial Revolution is fully underway and you have the first real concerted efforts of globalization that has happened. So you have immigrants coming to England. So there is a strong element of beware the other people, they're going to come and take your women. So the the thread of Dracula as fear of the other, we certainly know how that's been playing lately here. So there's a lot of stuff that are are parallels. If you wanna see this, if you wanna see Dracula with that particular theme to the nines, there's a weird, wonderful art film called Guy Madden's Dracula, pages from a virgin's diary. It's a fascinating art film where he filmed the Royal Winnipeg Ballet do a version of Dracula. And they they put that whole, this is about the fear of the changing world, into that. fascinating stuff, so check that out if you are intrigued by these types of things. And see that that's, th- when that, I actually hadn't really realized just how powerful of a theme that is in Dracula until I watched that. I actually had a chance to see the actual ballet in addition to the art films, amazing thing. So um, so in terms of that psychology, there is a lot of, there's a lot of damage that you know the gothics were doing to their characters. Um, what I think we need to do as a modern audience is to try to not repeat those same injustices that are not necessarily resolved in a lot of the traditional gothics. So, this is where, okay, all right. This is where my I- issue with Penny Dreadful is. Okay, <clears throat> so you have a great premise, you have a wonderful couple of seasons until the end of season two. Okay, is there, are people okay with spoilers? Because I can't hold myself back. All right, you've had long enough. You're not on board yet. Whatever. Here's spoilerific. End of season two. They kill the trans character and they kill the black man. Wait, come on, you guys. This is not the 19th century. I mean, I know that they. And again, I keep. I write. I'm writing books in set in the 19th century. I look at the news. I see what's being said, and I'm like, you guys. Some of these people in the 19th century had are ahead of you guys right now. Right now, Ram Stoker looks like a raging feminist compared to your, like <laughs> whole cadre of things. You know, if so. here's the deal. So at the end of Penny Dreadful, right? So after they kill the people that like you shouldn't make sacrificial tropes of, right? Like you shouldn't, because it's harmful. Um, and you let all the white guys live. <clears throat> and then you go in to what is, okay, so Vanessa Ives, I love her. She, as a character, played by Ava Green, she's the first really, really strong, fiercely strong woman that I had seen in like a gothic that was like, really kind of taken no, taken, you know, taken no shit. And she's so strong, she's so important. And then they kill her in the end. And it's not, it's not, it isn't justified. There's the character arc, there's so many ways. If she'd have been like, you know what? I'm gonna go out with a bang. If she had not sort of just resigned, there were so many choices at the very last few episodes. So many choices where she just resigned and just kind of gave up and then dies by a male hand. And considering we are, considering domestic violence is an epidemic, it is a huge problem. This is not a great thing to send, also because she battled depression and battled certain psychological issues, to just be like, yeah, kill me. That's certainly not, that's not great when she's been a fierce woman who was one of the first people I identified with. I saw her on screen, and I'm like, that, that is, there's so, so much of me in her that I, that I love and I really identified with, because. I'm, I'm, I'm a little weird. It's hard for, to find me on screen somewhere, right? So I really, I took it very personally when all that, I was like, I, I have my own personal demons. It's like, I deal with stuff. I deal with depression. This is not a great message to be sending like, ah, I give up. It's, it's it's a terrible thing for somebody who's been so strong for three seasons. So here's the thing, if you want to get into Penny Dreadful, please do, but only watch until season three, the episode in the asylum with Vanessa and uh, the man who becomes Frankenstein's monster. Rory Kinnear, amazing actor, one of the greatest performances. That whole episode is just unbelievable acting. Billy Piper is amazing. I, I I loved her in in Doctor Who, but I didn't really think she could act. And in this, I'm like, oh, you can! Wow. So you know, there's um, great performances. Also, you guys, Patty Lapone as as Doctor Seward. Oh, please, I I I, I would just. Pay money just to watch her sit there and smoke. It was amazing.
0: So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love, I love everything about Patti When I found out that she was coming back, I was like, that's, How are they going to excuse that? They like put a put one line in there. I'm like, I buy it. It's wonderful. You're back. Great. Right? Um, so, so it's like you know that's the great thing about again. It's the, it's a the, it's, the, it's epitome. Penny dreadful is a show. It's the epitome of the Gothic. Does every gothic trope? Does every you know all that stuff? And they were doing a pretty good job in this first season and part of the second season of really kind of taking some stuff to task. Um, The character of Lily does deal with um, issues of of women uh, chafing against uh, violence against them. Um, It really kind of takes up some of those themes. Um, But they did some stuff that was very regressive and then didn't offset it. if you do something regressive and then you sort of like turn it on its head, okay, great. They were turning some things on their head, but then leaving a lot of other stuff just in the regular hegemony of society as it's sort of always been. And I'm like, mm, we can do better. You can ask for more. You can want more in your fiction where everybody gets something, uh, something, a surprise, rather than sort of the same old oppressions. Um, so I think that to, to, to take the step back that the show took, I felt it was very, very, very damaging. Um, to, to everybody, you know, like, you know fr- my friends in the LGBT community were like, mm, I don't know about that, that's, that's problematic, you know? And you know, my, my friends of color like, you, you're gonna kill the black man and then not, oh, okay. Because all of us were like, he's gonna return as a werewolf and it's gonna be awesome. And so, you know, you just, when you have, when you have characters that are sort of set in the series as tokens, and then you, like, that is, that's the type of stuff that then gets problematic and harmful. That's harmful. To, to the readers. That's harmful to society in general, I feel. So I know, and this isn't, this is not coming from a specifically political rant one way or another, this is coming from a, a human place. That you don't, you don't wanna be tokenized and then just killed off because you're not part of the sort of the mainstream. Um, and in a show that celebrates all of its we're all monsters kinds of things, I'm like, mm, okay, but you've protected some folks and not others, and that's very problematic to me. So. Um, with all of that, so there's my, that is the, that is the calmest I have ever done my penny <laughs> guys. Wow. I didn't, I didn't spit rage. Like, I just, I didn't spit fire that time. Michelle Bellache and we were on a DragonCon panel together, um, right after this, this series had ended and we were on a DragonCon panel together and, and they were like, all right, guys, and I literally just grabbed the table and Michelle was like, I'm just going to put a nickel in there and just watch her go. And I was just like, Aah! for like, you know, like 15 minutes, and then everyone was like, and then I was like, All right, and then I just like sat there for a while, it calmed down, and then I was, you know, and then they could see me gripping everything again, they're like, let her go, let her go. <laughs> so yeah, so I have tried to, um, I, it's not that my rage has diminished, it's just that I realized that if I really let myself go, we'll go way out of time. So um, I, I've thrown a lot of stuff out at you that's big, Ideas. Um, is there anything that uh, in my in my vaguely nonlinear mind um, that I didn't sort of tie up for you guys? Uh, and we've got a couple minutes um, before I, I didn't want to launch on something else before I actually asked. Do I do I still have you? Did I did I cover up my bases? Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I was just wondering because you were talking about um, the modern horror and yes, how we see yes. things. How you feel about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Because. I'm kind of tired of Joss Whedon getting the Woman of the Year placard.
1: Right, right, so so the, so the comment up front was the, how do I feel about Buffy because we're, we're tired, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna speak for all of us and saying we're a little tired of Joss claiming the Woman of the Year prize. Um, in terms of, I, I think he, Joss really has his heart in the right place, really does. I love a lot of his stuff. I just, I, I, at a certain point, I just feel like there's, he's not going far enough. And it's also, like I also feel like there's, there's a tendency to be like, oh, we're almost getting to a new plateau and then there's sort of a step back to something that's a little more comfortable. It's like, it's like Mina Harker in, in Dracula being like, oh, that new woman thing, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. So it's towing the line, it's not really taking a stance one way or another. So I feel like there's a lot of middle middling ground, and in all of that, like it's sort of is a it's sort of still a status quo. Does that make sense? But I but I love so much of his stuff. It's like I love you know I love 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 Firefly, to, all to all get out, and I love you know so many of these things. I think there's so much he's doing right. So I just I just want to be like just go farther, go farther, and go deeper, and like let there be other options that 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 come that come true for that. Yeah. Um. I just think there's a bit of a reliance at the end of the day on men, at the end of the day, I think, and which is, I mean, we are a society. We None of us are going it alone. So I'm not saying that, and this is nothing that I feel is, is, is there's no, nothing militant about this, of like my way or the highway about any of this, not at all. We have to be interconnected. But I think there's a way in which I just kind of want sometimes for the characters to have you know, I want it to pass the Bechdel test a little bit more. You know, the Bechdel test is—you know—if you have two female characters, let's not have them talking only about a guy, um, talking about other things. So it doesn't always pass the Bechdel test as much as I would really like to see. And so that's that's one of those things that I, speaking generally, because a specific example isn't coming to mind, but that's just in my general experience. That's how I sort of always feel. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so what else? Did that cover that? You and you.
0: I, I mean, I could be way off, so I but i Okay. Listening to
1: your description of the it could Twin Peaks fall in there as a modern version? It has, species. absolutely it has. Twin Peaks okay. is a great example of, it isn't modern, no, you're not off at all. Twin Peaks is a great example of a mo, of a, of a, modern, <laughs> a <laughs> modern Gothic because it is weird and it's wild and the setting. The in city, that case, see, that's the what setting, going back. That's exactly that. right. Now, now, some, now, some Gothics will have some elements Gothic elements, you know? And that one is, is, is like really almost there. If you want to see like the epitome is Crimson, something like Crimson Peak, but Twin Peaks is like right on up there because it's weird, it's unexplained, you don't know unreliable narrators everywhere. Uh-huh. So, I mean, David Lynch in and of itself is an unreliable <laughs> narrator, you know? You <laughs> <laughs> never really know, so. It's creepy. Oh, absolutely it's creepy. really creepy, yeah. yeah. And also too, the the Gothic can, can, can sometimes be really, really creepy and uh, otherwise it can be kind of, beautifully, tragically sweet. So it just depends. So it's like, that's a great example. Um, uh, One of the great um, 19th century examples, uh, a lot of Hitchcock is a lot of Gothic, um, especially Rebecca, which is a Gothic novel um, off of uh, Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca. Um, the film and the book, both very great examples of the mid nineteenth century Gothic. So, or my mid twentieth century Gothic. Sorry. So I, I focus so much on the nineteenth century. I do want to touch down. I, I mentioned Shirley Jackson, um, and also Shirley Jackson. A lot of the adaptations. The the Vincent Price Haunting of Hill House is a great movie adaptation of that. Um, her also her We Have Always Lived in the Castle, mm-hmm. is another amazing Gothic. Also, so Shirley Jackson wrote the Lottery that we all read in school. Um, about that, you know the the. The black dot, and then they're this chosen sacrifice. The way before Hunger Games, when I when I read <laughs> Hunger Games, I was like, "That's totally lottery in its in its own it's a, in its own way." So, um, but um, other. Um, I want to make sure I get to your to your point. So yes, so yes, and thank you. Yes,
0: yeah, well, I guess I was um,
1: thinking along the same lines. Who else? You mentioned Clinton Peak. You mentioned Clinton, uh, interesting and Interesting. Um, uh,
0: Shirley Jackson, anybody, anybody like uh, mm, in 21st, is there a 21st century yeah. gothic uh, that you've seen yet? Well, I, 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 do, <laughs> I, do, I do write
1: it, I do, <laughs> I do, I do write it. Um, I'm also um, a, a, great, a great author who is very, very little known, but she is very deeply historically researched as an uh, author by the name of Amanda Deweese. And, uh, and so also if you wanna find out about what's going on, so Julia here, wave Julia. Julia has a blog called the Gothic Library, and she's tracking all of the, so if you look for the Gothic Library, she's tracking all of what's happening here in the modern Gothic. So um, there's elements of, um, one of my favorite authors is Sherry Priest. Sherry Priest did a great Gothic called The Family Plot recently. It's magnificent, really great. Also keep track of Victor Laval, The Ballad of Black Tom, is a great example of a more inclusive version of a creepy uh, Lovecraftian tale. Um, So if you like Lovecraft, but you have problems with the racism, um, (laughs) look up the Battle of Black Tom. Um, So that's, I I, I love Lovecraft's uh, style. Uh, Problem, problematic. So, um, but yeah, so there's definitely some, definitely people working out there. Amanda DeWeese, D-E-W-E-E-S. I believe yes. yes. So um, and uh, and I d- definitely as things to cross my path, but definitely check out the family plot. And also, there's gothic elements in Cherry Creek's latest, Brimstone. Brimstone just came out, um, literally just a couple weeks ago, and it's also really magnificent. Um, yes, it's time. Okay, so guys, I want to thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I have cards here. We can continue the discussion out in the lobby thank you all for being here i I love and i could talk to you guys for hours so thank you you.
0: once again you just heard author liana renee heber at the steampunk world's fair and coming up now enjoy the melodies of eli august don't forget you can follow me on twitter at elizabeth amber and sponsor my work at patreon.com slash amber unmasked running out on his sweet Eloise. He's running down and down a list of his old enemies. And that number is down to one. Cold, fill them with doubt. There are some many ain't made for the storm, and they back and bail out. Where do you go? What do you do when the shadows and those memories come for you? We trudge, we trudge through the thickets of the life we lost and gave the love, and wonder what would have become if they chosen to keep on. The last time called the past comes on Little darling, it will be the last time Something falls beyond you and grasp your bound Bound to take this on Do. When those memories in the shadows come for you, we charge, we charge, let the kids of the life be lost in love. Wonder what would have become if they chosen to get on. Past the past, I recall the past, come on, little alarm. It won't be the last time something falls so beyond me on your grasp, your bound balancing this song